oneness. Hi everyone, I'm Christopher Kakuyo Sensei, and I'm a Sensei of the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. We are an independent, transsectarian, all-inclusive American Sangha in the Mahayana tradition. The Way of Oneness podcast is a collection of our Dharma talks, delivered at our Salt Lake City Fellowship Sangha. Enjoy the Dharma talk. Today's Dharma talk is titled, uh, Sitting in Darkness. So, as many of you know, last weekend I was able to go bright, to Bright Dawn Way of Oneness induction ceremony in Coors Gold, California, to see Gretchen, Dave, Dan, and Jen, among others, become lay ministers in our tradition. And it was wonderful. Going to the induction this year was a pilgrimage for me. It served a similar purpose that ritual serves for me, and that is a reminder to remember. Remembering to remember. To remember why I became a lay minister in the first place and what bright dawn way of oneness Buddhism really means to me. Remembering to remember is important, and it's at the heart of any gratitude practice. How easy it is to get sidetracked in the tyranny of so many urgencies. This is the nature of my life right now with two toddlers, work, and our growing sangha, and doing it all in my 50s. What the hell was I thinking? But I think a lot of it is also the pace and the culture of our modern life. It can seem that we live in a cult of activity. If we're not doing something, then there's something wrong with us. Our minds and our bodies need to be moving. And the funny thing is that most of our tyrannical urgencies are self-created because we think we need to be busy to be of value. I love this quote from Kierkegaard, the famous Swedish existential philosopher. Quote, The most ludicrous of all ludicrous things, it seems to me, is to be busy in the world, to be a man who is brisk at his meals and brisk at his work. What, after all, do these busy bustlers achieve? Are they not just like the woman who, in a flurry because the house was on fire, rescued the fire tongs? What more, after all, do they salvage from life's huge conflagration? End quote. When we look at these things, unknown to us because we are moving so fast and constantly that we don't see the hidden invitation in each of them. The invitation of all these activities is to slow down, attend to each consciously. From making the bed to washing the dishes to mindfully eating our food, all the things we do so busily to be busy steal us, steal from us the simple joys of being alive. There's another reason we stay so busy. We're afraid to stop because we may need to face our own suffering. We become addicted to being busy to avoid the darkness within ourselves. I really appreciate this quote from Brene Brown. Quote, one of the most universal numbing strategies is what I call crazy busy. 
I often say that when they start having 12-step meetings for busyaholics, they'll need to rent out football stadiums. We are a culture of people who've bought into the idea that if I can stay busy enough, the truth of our lives won't catch up with us. End quote. Ouch. Or in the words of my rabbi great-grandfather, oy vey. I see the teachings of the Buddha as invitations to come out of both kinds of busyness, inviting you while you are in the midst of it without judgment. Lately, I've been thinking about the teachings and how many of them are simply an invitation to just stop. Just stop. It's okay for us to stop running, stop trying to be special, stop trying to earn love. The teachings of the Buddha are invitations to get off the endless wheel of life and death and maybe for the first time just be, just live. Here is where I see the power of ritual in whatever form it takes. I know for some of us it can be off-putting. Ritual without meaning is off-putting. But ritual as an act to remember to remember can be very meaningful and even something we start to look forward to. Ritual is nothing more than this invitation to remember, to remember the important things, the things we really value in our lives, to remember the teachings of the Buddha, of Amitabha Buddha, and their invitation for us to come just as we are. Whether the ritual is daily meditation in the morning, affirmations, attending Sangha on Sundays, or the slow, attention-filled cup of coffee or tea in the morning before your day starts, it doesn't matter, because all of these can be a powerful antidote to being busy, to not being still. They can also ground us to open our hearts and minds to our lives just as they are. In our Sangha and our Sangha tradition, Namo Amida Butsu is not just an invitation for us to come as we are, but an invitation to life for it to come just as it is. In my life, this is the spirit of Namo Amida Butsu. Okay, so now back to Bright Dawn. By returning to Bright Dawn and to witness the induction of our new lay ministers serves the same purpose of ritual. It helps put everything into perspective. It was amazing to meet all the new lay ministers and to see the unity manifest in so much diversity. And is there a lot of diversity? <laughs> it's crazy. So everybody had a unique personality a unique world that they came from. And in any other environment, we probably would have never become friends. We might have never even met each other. But because of this singular thing, this thing that we did with common purpose, we were able to accept and invite someone else to come as they are and to get to know them. And by getting to know them, 
get to know ourselves even better. And the beautiful thing is that we all came together unified by the vision of our founding teacher, Reverend Guillaume Kabose Sensei, and in the idea of the way of oneness. As I watched the induction, this time as an observer, I thought of each lay minister and the beginning of their new life after their induction. Each one will start their own unique ministry, from individual spiritual enrichment and practice, all the way to creating welcoming and safe sanghas and fellowships. The one thing that struck me was their open, bright faces as they received their induction and the light that radiated from each of their faces. The light of their hearts and the light of their practice shining forth. It was simply the radiant faces of those who had found a home in the Dharma. Standing there, I imagined Reverend Guillaume Kabose Sensei there with us and unknown to the inductees as each one wore his okessa in the ceremony, he bowed to each of them and their readiness to share the way of oneness in body, mind, and spirit. On Monday, after the induction, most of the lay ministers had left, and we were sitting around the dinner table having a beautiful, meandering conversation about this and that. At one point when we were talking, I was talking about the story that Reverend Koyo Sensei shares in his book, Bright Dawn, about a small worm and a bamboo stalk. And I was saying how it's one of my favorite stories. And those who've been through the program probably know the story, but I'm going to share it with you who haven't. So here's the story about the small worm and the bamboo stalk. There once was a small worm trapped inside a tall stalk of bamboo. And to escape the darkness and being knowledgeable of bamboo, the small worm decides that he will need to climb upward and out to freedom. He knows he's got his work cut out because of the thick joints in the bamboo as it grows, but he knows he can eat his way through. As he continues to climb upward, he comes across another joint and then another, but he knows that this is the only way, the only way to freedom. So he continues climbing upward, eating his way through as many joints as he comes to. As strong and determined as our small worm is, the bamboo stalk is very tall when you are a tiny little worm, and there's still a long way to go. The little worm gets tired and at first resists rest. And on and on he climbs and chews, but finally he has to stop and rest in the darkness. Resting still in the darkness for some time, he notices something. He notices a small, tiny light coming through a crack in the wall of the bamboo. He crawls over to it and thinks to himself, it can't be that easy. And he chews his way through the side of the bamboo, and in an instant, he is free. So I love this story, and also because of the chapter in Guillaume Kabose Sensei's book, uh, where it comes from, and it's the darkness chapter. And there's a line from that chapter that I refer to often um, in my own life and when counseling others. It's that every spiritual journey begins in darkness. Every spiritual journey 
begins in darkness. For this teaching, it brings to mind for me the Buddha's awakening story as he goes into deeper states of consciousness throughout the darkest night and the deepest journey of his six-year quest under the Bodhi tree. He journeys into the darkest parts of himself to discover the oneness of all things and even himself as Mara, as one. And just as the morning star arises in the, in the east, he awakes. That morning star reminds me of the cracks of light in the bamboo stalk. Darkness seems to be an important ingredient to awakening, and yet how many of us are timid and avoid the darkness, or when faced with it, do everything we can to escape it? We create stories to explain it away, or we work tirelessly and single-mindedly, nonstop, to escape the darkness, as if the darkness itself is the enemy of light. But in the way of oneness, the darkness is not the enemy of light, but actually reveals the light to us. As Rumi the poet has said, let darkness be your candle. I love these paradoxes. For me, the most important part of the story of our little worm in the bamboo stalk is the part where he gets so tired he has to stop. How many of us are that way, that we don't even notice the world around us until we get so tired we stop fighting, or until some tragedy on a Tuesday stops us in our tracks? We become so exhausted so tired of being so damn tired that we finally allow the darkness to be the darkness. Not an enemy, not the testament of all the things that are wrong, just what it is, simple darkness. It's when we finally stop trying so hard and let go, stop being so fixated on what we think we need to do or should do or have to do or what we think we know life is about, then we can finally know what life is about and find the way to liberation. For me, the teaching of the story is all about sitting in the darkness and letting the darkness do what it does. Reveal the light. Letting the darkness do what it does, reveal the light. And it's hard. It's hard because we suffer from too much artificial illumination. We hide from the dark and dance in the harsh fluorescent lights of our own limited understanding, thinking we are free. But this is not the same freedom the Dharma teaches. That brings to mind the Mojave Desert at night. The Mojave Desert Preserve is also a dark skies preserve, meaning that any artificial light is restricted, and it's one of the very few places on Earth that you can still see the Milky Way the way our ancestors did for a millennium. Lots of tourists come. They get out of the tour bus, they, get, they walk and they look up 
at the sky for about five minutes and say, what? What's that? That's nothing. That's nothing. I can see that at home. Disappointing, they get back in the tour bus. The reason they didn't see anything is they didn't let their eyes adjust to the darkness. They actually didn't see anything. Those that were willing to stop and sit and wait in the darkness and let their eyes adjust, they're shown the same view of the stars that the first humans stood in awe of and made into gods with their myths. Are we not the same in our spiritual journey? If all spiritual journeys start in the darkness, is not the first step, not the step at all, but finally and courageously to sit silently in the darkness and let our spiritual eyes adjust to it. Isn't that what meditation is? Isn't it sitting in the darkness of ourselves, being still and allowing the darkness to show us the light of our inner luminosity? For me, it's similar to the lyrics from Leonard Cohen. But instead of all the cracks in the world letting the light in, I see all the cracks in the world letting the light out. May we all sit silently in the dark so we can finally see the light of our own Buddha nature and show ourselves the way to freedom. Thank you for your practice. And thank you for being here today. Namo Amida Butsu. I think it's really a, a chance for us to reevaluate our relationship with darkness. Coming from a Judeo-Christian culture, we have this idea that darkness is the opposite of light, the enemy of light. And, and we use that in a lot of our metaphors. Um, but when we think of a non-dual perspective, a perspective of oneness, um, there is not that fight between the two, that they are the same in a paradox. That's why I love Rumi's poem, Let the Darkness Be Your Candle. What does a candle do? It guides you. It illuminates your world. The darkness of ourselves can illuminate our world. One way is it reveals the light, because when we're so busy, when we think we know everything we need to know, or that we can simply figure it out, that's that that harsh fluorescent light that is that that imitation of wisdom and understanding. And that's because we're afraid of the darkness. If we can put that down and look at darkness like the darkness of the womb or the darkness of the earth on which life comes out of, that's a beautiful darkness. The darkness um, that reveals the Milky Way to us when we finally get out of the city and get into the deep desert or get into the Mojave Desert or Death Valley where no light reaches and you look up at the sky and your first response is, holy shit. And it's a visceral response. It's not like cool at a Pink Floyd light show. It is, this is amazing. This is, and you understand when you, when you sit in the midst of that, you understand myth. You understand that desire to story because of this experience. And we have been so 
diminished because of our over-illumination on many levels, however you want to take that metaphor, that we can't, like our ancestors, sit in the darkness. Sit in the darkness of ourselves. Sit in the darkness as the germination, as the soil from which we're born, physically and spiritually. So the practice is a way for us to reintegrate that relationship we have with darkness. And it's not easy, and it takes a lot of courage. It does. But it's a practice. It's a practice of stepping in. It's a practice of just slowing down and sitting in it. And just like our little worm, so tired of being so goddamn tired, he sat there, he sat in the darkness, and that's when he saw the light. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The Way of Oneness is produced by the Salt Lake City Buddhist Fellowship, an all-inclusive, trans-sectarian American Sangha in the spirit of Bright Dawn Way of Oneness Buddhism. To learn more about the fellowship, please contact us at saltlakebuddhist.org. Our website will give information about meetings and other services that we provide the community. Again, thank you for listening.